This podcast, more than most of my podcasts, has been a collaboration because I'm not just using material that I've recorded, but I'm also going to be using material recorded independently by members of the Stand Up Tragedy team. Stand Up Tragedy is my other podcast. You can find it on SoundCloud slash Stand Up Tragedy. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. And you can find it at www.standuptragedy.co.uk. It's not just a podcast, it's also a live show. And this episode is going to be about the process of taking that live show up to the Edinburgh Festival. So... Here we are, the Stand Up Tragedy team. Yeah, on the road again. On the road again. <laughs> uh, at 8.34 in the morning, which sounds like we've had a late start, but it, we actually got up at like 6 to get to City Airport, where we are. Turn right, Connaught Lane. A little bit of commentary. Yep. It's the GPS. That's a, a, a cameo from our GPS machine. Mia. What's her name? Mia. Mia. Mio, M-I-O. Mio. Mio, there you go. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. And today we're getting better acquainted with... Stand up tragedy at the Edinburgh Festival. Woo! Well, there you go. Enthusiasm at this stage of the uh, proceedings. I have to go round the roundabout, then I'll turn right. God. And so we're setting out from London to Edinburgh. Previous getting better acquainted specials have been like things where I've had to force material. I've had hardly any time. And I've had to like really delve into the places I've visited. This, this time we're going for. How many days are we going for? Well, we're 12 shows. 12 shows. So I won't be forcing things, I'll be letting events happen to me and recording them when they happen rather than desperately mining my memory for material. Late at night at Stand Up Tragedy Towers, we've been drinking. It's like the second or third night, and we're having some conversation. I'd really like to interview you, Dave. I'd really like you can to interview me. Go ahead. Okay, Dave. Um, My niece interviewed me today. Like yes. the second time you've been yeah. interviewed by someone with a mental age of nine. I want you to tell me Whoa. about your... Mo- right, I'll give you an example no, about this funny, as well. That was not fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so I want knows, you to g- tell me your most comfortable place and your most uncomfortable place. So I'll give you an example. Yeah, I asked my friend Kira this. I said She said her most comfortable place was being in her parents airing cupboard stroking the towels her most uncomfortable place was in a nightclub <laughs> okay that's okay, an example okay, okay, okay. my most comfortable place and my least comfortable place that your friend gave really good answers really good answers yeah, right I know, but it puts the but pressure are, your, really. are they the same as your answers they're not the same they're definitely not the same like maybe just like like curled I up can, in the fetus position in the bar. Okay, so I think my most comfortable place in time and space and memory 
was when I was uh, around about eight years old, and no, maybe a bit older than that, so nine or ten, and I used to go to my dad's flat at weekends. And he would read me the Lord of the Rings in, uh, in bed. He was reading me the Lord of the Rings. So every yeah. week I was getting a new kind of chapters from the Lord of the Rings. And I think it would have been when... My most comfortable place is either lying on his chest while he reads the Lord of the Rings to me. Or lying in bed after he's just gone out of the room to make cook breakfast for me. Right. And you just that feel I'm like you're have so in bed safe and comfortable. And I feel safe yeah. and I feel comfortable and all of the stuff that's going on in the weeks disappears. Disappears. Wow. Uh, you have an intruder in the comfortable space. You're getting a, a soundtrack from Richard Tyrone Jones. Voice of Radio 4. Anyway, that was really touching before the yodeling happened. And then the most uncomfortable place. Uh, uh, the most uncomfortable place is pretty easy, I think, for me to locate. Right now. Certainly in relationship to that last one. So the most uncomfortable place is the day that I ruined Christmas <laughs> and my stepdad pushed me back into the tree. You've heard this story probably. Um, but I think... What, what and they hit me. Uh, yeah. And the, 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 the reason it's the most uncomfortable place is because every time I think of that memory, I still have, I still have the uh, feeling of the prickles in my back every time I think but of But what I think is interesting about... Both, I really like those answers, but what I think is interesting about them is they're both quite far away, so they're both quite like when, when you're young. So I yeah. wonder whether you may have become like more comfortable... Now, oh, like you've not had those extremes of like uncomfortability or comfortability. Is it become You're more right. like middle ground now? You're right, I yeah. reverted right back to my childhood yeah. ones. Because I was thinking, so of something... I guess I should have some adult ones. Yeah, right. It sounds like the most uncomfortable places in the time. Well, that's how I. Because my like one of mine is like okay, so one of my most uncomfortable things is like yeah, if I'm on it, a train yeah. platform and like my, like a boss or like a colleague like is there and like you don't want to sit next to someone on the tree yeah. but you both spotted each other and you have to sit down and that that's just just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Thinking about yeah, adult times. All right. They can be sexual as well as you want them. To. Well, that's like I want them to be sexual. Um... I don't think I'm going to come up with my most comfortable and uncomfortable places. No, I think the ones sexually, that you said were actually really no, no, brilliant. No, sexually, I'm not going to come up with them. Not for the podcast audience. I'm an open guy, but I don't really want to be sharing my most comfortable and uncomfortable yeah. sexual. But maybe like what position? But everyone's really moments, the most. No, like, but everyone's the most comfortable. Like post orgasm, like that's really comfortable. Really comfortable, isn't it? No, just like you're like, no, 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 like, no, isn't the most, isn't the most, isn't the most, like, sort of hissing and booing, like, isn't the most awkward, like, isn't the most, like, comfortable moment sexually, like, the actual moment when you are orgasming? No, because I think there's an no like edge the about after. that that isn't com- comfortable. I'm talking like. Oh, oh yeah, no, you're right. It's not comfort. Yeah, comfort is like content, rest. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, I know what my most comfortable sexual <laughs> thing is, and like I said, I'm not sharing them with you. Um, <laughs> I just, re- I just thought of it. It's definitely not going on the podcast. So, <laughs> 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 
<clears throat> spooning's nice. What's yeah, the first that's spooning? not what I'm thinking about. Anyway. Anyway. I'm not giving you the sexual ones, and I'll probably cut all of that. You have the power to cut anything you want out of here, so you can talk about whatever anything you want, and it'll just be in this room now. I've just cut that. Except for the bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just cut that, yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cutting that too. Just be honest. Just be Why yourself, you Dave. Cut yeah. Trotsky yourself. out of your birthday. No, I can't photos. be Cut who out of my birthday. Trotsky out of your birthday. Of everyone, photos. I would have thought you would edit yourself the least. Um, no. <clears throat> I edit myself seen... the most. Okay, no, but just like in in life, I feel like you don't really edit yourself, no. which is amazing. Like Except you don't have really a, you know, now. you don't edit no, yourself. You're very open. Yeah. I do on the show, but I don't in my life. What do you think I really do in my life? Yeah, I feel like you I say what you're, very, you're careful in a way. You say what you want. You don't edit mm-hmm. maybe the content, but you edit the structure. Oh my god! Well, I guess what my boss called me tactful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that's what all my friends do. <laughs> Wait, you mean that I'm your boss? No, my um, actual, okay, boss. actual boss. I work. I know. Not not how I see myself either. But Andy, do you want to talk about your most comfortable and least comfortable experience? Sexual experiences. No, because that's what you made me about. We interrupt this program to bring you the news that everyone will be going to bed in ten minutes. How do you know that? You can't see the future. I repeat, everyone will be going to bed in ten minutes. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just worried about tomorrow. My son will come up tomorrow. (laughs) That's your bottom dollar, that's tomorrow. Well, exactly, but we've got the responsibility in your stead. Just thinking about Half, do you want to talk about your most comfortable and most uncomfortable moment? My most comfortable moment. I just thought I'd try. Give it some thought, and if you want to share, share. All right, I want to go at this. Adult ones, comfortable and uncomfortable. I think that Andy had something with spooning. I think that, like, sexual stuff aside, being wrapped around or having someone wrapped around you and your wife, like, at rest and comfortable with each other and yourself at that moment. That's pretty... Well, it has to be that detail because it's got to be the most comfortable. It was. Uh, An uncomfortable... um, I find moments when I'm. Yeah, girl. I find moments when I've done something and someone thinks that it's wrong. Like when somebody. You feel like guilt and shame. Yeah, but it's not. I I think the most uncomfortable time. If if it's something I I agree that it's wrong with, I can feel like um, like a release about that guilt. I can feel repentant. I can feel apologetic. The most uncomfortable so time is when someone <laughs> thinks you've done something wrong and they think you've done something morally wrong even. You're like a, beneath yeah. them or a bad person. Yeah. And they don't like you at all. But you, don't but you think what you did was absolutely reasonable. Well, it's like a good example. Mostly, I have to think of an example. Yeah, no, but I think I know what you're talking about. I can share on the podcast. Coming in her eye. Coming in her eye. Oh, my God. No, I think I know what you're talking about. So you do something like, like when my brother, for example, we used to live in a barrack home, right? You know, barrack homes, they're really cheap. I know barrack homes. We lived on the fifth floor. My brother left the house and uh, left the bath running. And he got back five hours later and he saw some water in the car park. I was like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And basically ruined, like, people's ceilings fell onto their beds. 
like people moved out for Christmas. We were like the most hated yeah. family yeah, in that flat, yeah. and we had to move out because of the shame. But like that is total, just like I could do. Anyone could do that, right? Like there's nothing malicious about that. Yeah. And but it was so shameful. Yeah. Is that a kind of similar thing or not? I think that's a, a, a similar thing. I mean, for me. For me, it's when somebody thinks that, like, okay, good example of this is like, um, if if someone talking about actually getting the wrong hole. No, I'm not. Not leaving the bathtub on. I'm not talking about getting the wrong hole. There's there's, there's no shame in that. That's just an awkward moment. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm. I'm not particularly. A, I don't mind awkwardness. I don't like it when someone judges me. So, like, I I I think it's like what what. What for, like the best example I can think of that I want to share on the podcast is um, which would you rather do? Get anarchist. it in the wrong hole, like or, or leave, people. Leave bath oh my god! <laughs> this is very. He knows I'm recording as well, so it's a very complicated thing. He likes he likes the, the shock value. But well, of course he does. We know what he had to do. Story is fundamentally about how you run away from that. There's possible structural damage. Yeah. I guess mm. there's possible structural damage. When I was younger, way, some really? guy thought he had sex with me, but like because and I gave him a handjob, because I think there was a mistake, genuinely, of like getting with each other and like know, him sorry, like shagging my hand now. like that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, because like, he was quite young as well, sense. and I was quite young, and he told everyone that we'd had sex, but. I genuinely knew we hadn't, but like I'd had my hand like that, and then he'd like shag my hand, and he thought it had sex, but both of us were in the right. Like I d- couldn't judge him because I couldn't be like, oh, he's lying. Like he genuinely thought that he had yeah, sex yeah, yeah, with me, but it was actually like, and and then I, it's and it looked like judge. I was denying that I had sex with him, and that was really awkward, and it looked like he was, sh- you know, like this the whole is an situation was awful. Thing I'm about. Yeah, that's a very yeah, good yeah. example. And uh, uh, Jelly, why did you put your hand there? Because I wanted to, him to come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. what, where, where was your hand she so was basically she was, we were like getting you know, on with each other and yeah. I was holding was my hand like that and he like shagged my hand but he thought he had sex with me because we well, were young Charlie, this you is interesting. Him off, right? no but he no. just like w- like okay maybe I had my hand quite still so I think because he yeah. thought it was a vagina right. he thought yeah. my hand was a vagina that because he I, think, I don't think he'd had sex before I, it sounds like he hadn't I'd be surprised if he had sex afterwards. He'll, he'll be really confused afterwards because yeah. he's only had sex with hands. You started anyway. up a fetish that means that he'll never be able to impregnate a woman for the It rest was just of his awkward because it was like I, I, it, everyone thought I was denying that I had sex with him, and everyone thought I think it was just awkward. So well, the horrible thing on, to do in that we situation is just have sex on, with him. Well, earlier on, we were talking about. Um, how I was talking about how virginity is a strange idea, though, anyway, though, because all kinds of sex are sex, and, like, lesbians don't have penetrative sex necessarily, for example. Um, and so all kinds of sex is sex, and so uh, that was sex in that, in that definition. Okay. That was sex. Right. He had had, had, had had sex with you. So basically... Why? Are because you saying, what definition? Because that's a kind of sex that you can have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, when you're young and you're like, what base? Being what being young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at that but stage when everyone was like, what base did you yeah, get to? Example, and I was like, well, it was just a hand job. But but <laughs> yeah. But for example, oral <laughs> sex is sex because that's why it's oral yeah, yeah, sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people like to categorise, don't they? They do. We live in the world. Yeah. And within that world, yeah, it's uh, it's an odd uh, miscommunication that you guys had. And that is the kind of thing I don't like. There we heard Charlie Harrison, Liz Bailey, Una O'Leary, Andy Bodle, and briefly, Harles, a.k.a. Stephen Harvey, with special guest voice from Richard Tyrone Jones, previous GBA 
guest, talented spoken word artist and friend. Take my second negative, Victoria Doc But as per usual, for a getting better acquainted special, I'm going to do the narration for the show before any of the events have happened. So that's what I'm doing now. FYI, the, it's almost a brand new car, so the brakes are a little sensitive. I will get used to them, but I apologize in advance. Yeah, Liz is driving. She's from America. She's driving on a different side of the road than she's used to. Expert level. With, with great levels of visibility in the back with the kit. In one quarter of a mile, turn right, this way to the lane. I brought a sound system. Excellent. So I've been listening back to previous Getting Better Acquainted Edinburgh specials, and... I've only managed to listen to the first one so far because uh, I've not had any time. Um, but when I listened back to that, I discovered I, I was very idealistic right. about the Edinburgh experience. Uh, we'll see if I'm as idealistic this time. Stand-up tragedy. It's free. It's got comedy. It's got drama. It's got everything you want. And, do you know Robin Ince? He's on the bill tomorrow night, uh, the comedian. Part of the free fringe. So have a... Do you want to take a flyer? Thank you very much. Stand-up tragedy. Free tonight. <laughs> Stand-up tragedy. Looking for some tragic moments? We have them for you. The tragic is comic. It describes my life. This is my personal tragedy. As long as the GPS talks like over everything I say, that will be ideal. <laughs> Sorry, dude. No, 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 it's fine. I like it. It's verity. It won't say it. much on the motorway. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Unless it just continues, go, continuously goes... Keep going in a straight line. <laughs> Sometimes it sort of worries that I might turn off, and so it lets me know. In 360 miles, take the next left. Don't. In 359 <laughs> miles. Don't screw it up, Liz. So in the in the first episode, I was idealistic and an audience member. The second episode, I was a performer. This time, I'm going as a producer, I guess. That is what I have to call myself. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I suspect I'm going to be less like, wow, look. Everything's equal, equaled out at the fringe, and you can see every kind of show, and it, they're all in the same boat. Because this time, I'm going to be much more aware that if you've got a lot of money behind you and a big name in a big venue, you're going to get audiences. You can afford advertising. Exactly. I, I heard the other day that the average, and I've said this to most of the team already, but the average audiences at the fringe, the average is seven people, which is. Uh, interesting. Hopefully we'll get, get seven... If we get seven people, we've got the average. Is that the median or the mean? Well, I don't know, but I don't like it, because if it's an average, it means that there's people some with zero. People are likely to get less than seven. No, actually, I think people on the free fringe are likely to get more than seven. The averages are up for the free fringe because it's free. Uh, that's what PBH keeps saying in his emails, anyway. OK, this is the free fringe. How many people play the free fringe before cheer? How many people are new to Fleet Fringe? Okay, this week on the Fleet Fringe cheer for both sides. Um, quite a lot of this will be addressed to people who are here for the for the first time, new members of the ever-growing Fleet Fringe. We're 35% bigger than we were last year. Uh, at, a, at a current total of 7,906 performances. Um, what's that? I've counted the music, actually. Um, 7,905. Um, uh, uh, performances of 
um, 465 shows um, on um, 51 stages in 38 venues. So I don't want to hear anybody using the phrase Big Four referring to the Pleasant, the Gilded Balloon, the Underbelly or Assembly. The largest of those, the Pleasant, is less than half our size. We got big by acting small because we got... Just a standard rhetorical paradox, it's not a gag. <laughs> There'll be a big illuminating slide when I want you to laugh. <laughs> God knows I'm going to need it in my own show, which I have not yet written. Now, um, um, where was I? Um, so, we are, we are big and then we got big by staying small. We got big by being extremely personal. The people who come to see our shows come and do so in intimate venues where they can get close to the performer, the form can get close to them and there is not a glass wall relationship between the performers and the audience. We are of them, they are of us, we are accessible and they appreciate that. So yeah, we're going as an independent group of people that have crowdfunded and, and uh we did loads of uh, fundraisers in, uh, in London, so we've got got enough money to go, uh, and we're doing it as the free fringe, so we don't have to pay for the venue, so we're doing okay, but we don't have the power of a massive corporation of behind Turn us, left. or a big Turn name, although we have got a couple of big names, so we're going to see how that works out for us. We're doing shows at the Fiddler's Elbow downstairs from the... Th- Third till the 14th of August at 6.30 till 7.30. One hour of tragedy every day. And we're sharing tragic moments on our podcast and on our social media. Hashtag tragic moments. Hashtag. Hashtag. And we're also doing a SoundCloud gig on the Royal Mile, which is going to be a live version of the podcast, which is going to be like... uh, I don't know, I think it's going to feel like old-time radio a little bit. (laughs) We will see. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the live Stand-Up Tragedy podcast in the SoundCloud uh, Hutch Shack. In the SoundCloud Shack on the Royal Mile at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, Stand-Up Tragedy is a variety night where we have music we have comedy we have storytelling we have spoken word and all of it is tragically themed we had uh, robin Ince earlier at uh, this in our run we've got simon Munnery coming up at the end we're at the fiddler's elbow every day at 6 30 till 7 30 with an hour of tragedy up until the 14th of august so thank you and hello and welcome and we're doing some outside gigs on the Royal Mile which where we got what 20 minutes yep to impress people who are not interested in being impressed who are just trying to go about their lives and not get flyered they just want to live they just want to live we're going to try and hopefully we're going to have some fire breathing as part of that um Harbartel man is going to be breathing some fire and hopefully not burning too many 
the uh, citizens of Edinburgh. Himself. Tourists are alright, they're half a thing. Sod the citizens, Liz has got the mic. And I'm going to be doing Getting Better Acquainted live for SoundCloud. I'm going to be doing two Getting Better Acquainted lives as part of the Free Fringe in the Banshee Labyrinth on the 12th and 13th of August at 1.40. So, introductions to the team, we have Liz. Hiya. She is my co-producer and father of the group. <laughs> I'm the money. Yeah, she, and I'm the mother, obviously, as uh, people have... Some people think I am quite motherly, other people are not so sure. I'm thinking like... Like a not a very good mother. That's what I am. The best sort of mother. A mother that gives you weird food because they haven't remembered to buy any food, but has thought about like get bringing her along a first aid kit. Yeah, you're like an app for us. We've got Harv, who is our sound guy. Yeah, you're going to be teching all of this shows, Harv. Yeah, and performing. Yeah, performing one night, and uh, you're the venue captain as well for the yeah. Free Fringe, which will either mean your life is hell or your life is easier. We'll see which yeah, way that goes. Uh, Harp's going to be recording all the podcasts, and so it's good for him to be the venue captain because it means he can have full control of the technology. We got Charlie, Lucy Harrison. Hello. She's a storyteller, comedian. All round, good egg. Good egg. Chief, Thank b- you. chief blogger. Chief, chief blogger. blogger. She is in charge of the the, the blog. I'll she be is blogging gossip from the festival every day. So I'm relying on people in this car to to create gossip, um, so we can tell you what's going on. And perks over Gruppenführer. Turn right, you're, you're in charge of the perks. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, I'm also in charge <clears> of the perks. Which is something we have to fulfill for our Indiegogo campaign so we have to <clears throat> write postcards and stories and cry tears into vials I don't know what we've got ourselves in, in for really. And I'm also in charge of the flowering rotor which I think isn't going to make me popular but there you go. And Andy Bodel who is our um, press, head of press press communication, what's your title? Head of myself Head of himself, Andy Bodel who is head Doing of himself <laughs> That's right, he's been on Sunday tragedy. Both Andy and uh, Charlie are going to be hosting one night each as guest hosts, and they're both going to be performing lots. Our head of podcast, our podcast producer, is not with us. She wouldn't have been with us anyway because she's coming from Manchester. And so, with our last story, uh, put your hands together for Bryony. One of the things I did up in Edinburgh was I ran a Spark London workshop. Hi guys, yeah, so I'm Bryony. Um, I've kind of, I've, I really like true storytelling, I've seen quite a bit of it. I've been to Spark London, I do stand-up tragedy, so I see people doing it there and stuff. And my background's in, like, radio, and I'm a really keen like, radio interviewer. So I've always admired people who get up on stage and tell their stories, because I always want to know other people's stories by asking them questions and interviewing. So it's quite fun for me to be doing this on the other side. Um, And uh, I was racking my brains, kind of trying to think of, like, 
like a little slideshow, a really rapid slideshow of all of the interesting things that I might have done that might be nice to tell people that aren't just normal life stuff. And everything is like a big story and a big thing rather than a small event. But I've chosen one and I thought I'd tell you a short story of something that happened when I went on an exchange in Toronto during my university. So we were kind of a load of international students living in one halls. Like they're from, like I think we had Australian, British, Swedish, Finnish, lots from the Netherlands, Germany, like people from all over the place. It was amazing. And we all became like a really, really close family. And after four months of being together, we're like, right, well, we all want to go traveling. And like 12 of us stayed in New York for about nine days or something like that. So we were all having a really good time and I've got all my like new best friends around me and we stayed in Brooklyn and we had just, this is one of our days, something that happened in one of our days. So we're staying in Brooklyn and we start the day off, we have a really nice like pizza. If you ever go to New York, go to this pizza house, it's the first, you might know it if you've been there, it's the one underneath Brooklyn Bridge, it's supposed to be like the original pizza joint and it's kind of touristy, but oh my God, it was good. I don't usually like pizza because I used to work in Pizza Hut, but you were like sad when you finished eating it. So we just, yeah, honestly, it was so good, but you're so full. So we had these massive pizzas and we were all feeling pretty good afterwards and we're walking along and it's beautiful and sunny and I'm messing around and I'm with my, so all the girls are walking up ahead and I'm kind of playing and larking around with Rold and Yere. Yere is, right, so Rold is just this funny, nice guy. He's one of those, you know, those nice guys. He's just harmless. He's just like your brother. He's from the Netherlands. He's just nice. So we're playing around. And then Yere is a very, very weird Finnish boy. His project for Toronto was to grow a mustache. He's a bit, he, he's really bizarre. But we were messing around. And I'm like, we're like playing and like dancing around and going, oh look at that, ha 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 ha, just being stupid kids. And I give him a piggyback because I'm stronger than I look, and so I'm piggybacking, piggybacking him along, and we're like amazed by this for a little while. And I'm running along, and then I put him down, and we get to um, like a an an underpass, like a bridge underpass it's only a bridge over the road and one comes towards us and there's like four lanes of big new york traffic coming towards us and we're all lurking around and having fun and we don't notice but there's like a pigeon on the pavement in front of us and we have this in like in joke where we just like animals in the road we like animals we like raccoons we like cats we like pigeons we like everything so yet he's running along and he does like he doesn't notice the pigeon and he runs towards it and him and the pigeon sort of I can remember it so vividly like everything freezes in time and he leaps in the air and him and this pigeon do this weird like whirlwind dance around each other like picture the matrix you know when they zoom everything around and they do this I can just see them like twirling around each other and then he lands and time steeds up again and the pigeon flies into the road. And he's, it's like all confused and is dabbling in the middle of the road. And we're like, oh no, oh no, it's going to get hit. It's going to get hit. And one car comes towards it, but it manages to avoid it. It goes just underneath. And we're like, oh, the sense of relief. The pigeon is absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. There's a car coming and it's, good. it's flapping around. It's a bit confused, but it starts to head back towards the pavement. Bless it. But then a gigantic 
bus comes along. That pigeon did not escape. That pigeon did not just get hit by a bus. It exploded. I have never seen anything so vividly. So from a beautiful dance to a feathery explosion as this bus hits this pigeon. And we're all just stunned. Me, Yetta, and Rold are just standing there. We're just staring at the spot where the pigeon used to be. There's literally nothing left of it. And we can't stop laughing. Rold literally can't get off the floor and everybody else has not seen this they just see us like laughing hysterically and a little kind of feathery floats in the air as we try and explain what happened and that's one of my most vivid memories of new york yet a to uh, for about two months wouldn't let us talk about it because he was pretty sure that it was his fault that, that pigeon died in a way maybe it was if he didn't disturb it who knows what could have happened to that pigeon it came so close to surviving But yeah, that's my favourite pigeon in the world and I thought I'd share it with you. (laughs) So I think uh, one of the... So I hope that what this workshop has has done is while we've all been sitting there watching other people basically work stuff out live on stage, uh, we can get a feel for what works about getting up on stage and working it out while you're up here. Um, You know, like... I saw moments in everybody's story which were magical because of the fact that people were working it out in front of us, uh, learning kind of with the room. We're taking the room on the journey that we're going on as we're going back through these memories. And I think everybody's really done that today. Um, and so I hope that we've, we've, all, uh, we could, we've, all, we've all got something out of that experience. And later today, I will meet for the first time Una... <clears throat> who is coming from, what part of America is she coming from? Well, she lives in Chicago, but she grew up with me in Michigan. Michigan. And she is a comedian, sketch performer, improviser, extraordinaire. Because this was Una's first Edinburgh experience and because she was from America, I thought it would be interesting to hear from her. I've been asked to talk about... Uh, my experience at the Free Fringe, and right now I'm walking up to the Royal Mile to do some performance on the street stages. Um, I don't really know how to talk about my experience so far. We're at the halfway mark. It's August 8th, Thursday. Um, bobbing and weaving between people. Honestly, I'm just doing this so that I can get over my fear of looking like a lunatic in front of strangers and realizing that they just don't give a shit what I'm doing. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know where to begin because I'm not good at processing things as they're happening after they're happened. After they've happened, it's also really just a sticky mess in my mind of how to process it. But that said, I have been thinking about what it means for me to be in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, sorry, for the Free Fringe, given that I'm an American, an American comedian, um, which is weird to say, too, because I always feel like a total fake when I say, like, oh, yeah, I'm a comedian. Eh, no, it's not the the funny part it's the fact that you know everything's tied up with like do you get paid to be funny as a gesture and I don't um, I give it away for free 
But that said, <laughs> it's like, why? And I hear at times because everyone's wrapped up with this idea of a radio for radio four, BBC four channel. Like that, everyone either has that or wants one. I don't know what this is. Here's the brilliant part, though. It lowers a lot of the expectations for me, so I can get out here and perform and grow confident as a performer um, and make connections all the same time. But knowing that it's like not the end of the world if the contacts fall short, which also seems kind of defeatist in a way. I'm now on the Royal Mile and there is a pretty awesome group of um, street performers today. I have like a deranged Scottish Highlander and the Invisible Man before that. Again, this was Bryony's first trip to the Edinburgh Festival and she is the age that I pretty much was the first time I came to the Edinburgh Festival. Maybe she's one year older or something like that. And so I thought that her initial reactions would also be wow. very interesting. Wow, hi Dave. I just recorded a whole spiel for you of my thoughts at Edinburgh, but I didn't press record. Amateur. Amateur through and through. Which is just as well that I'm here recording on the fringe and I'm practicing. And I've got lots of people like walking past me looking at me like a complete weirdo talking to myself. Um, in the grass market at the moment. I'm quite proud of how well I've got to know Edinburgh over the last three days, pacing up and down the streets. Everyone's having lunch, and I am looking at everybody as a potential podcast target, which, I don't know, makes me some kind of weird media person. But I just want to do a good podcast. No, I really do. I know you say like that I work too hard, but I'm having a really good time. I've got a completely amazing story to tell all the people that I know when I get home. I get to be part of the festival and I have wondered what it's like to see it as just a total tourist, but I'm really glad that you get to know all the performers behind the scenes because we're that kind of bringing artists together, collaboration, which I'm really proud of and it's cool when I can tell somebody to come to the show and I'm, I'm part of stand-up tragedy. I'm an artiste. Now, there's a lady who I think is going to be particularly tragic, and I'm going to go ask her. So I just got a little nap. It is hmm, 10.40 at night. Uh, the military tattoo is wrapping up, which I can tell because those were the sound of fireworks in the distance. I'm walking over to Bannerman's to meet up with people. Here is what I love about the festival is that there's such like craziness like the military tattoo going on every night every night it feels like fourth of july it feels like uh like this big exciting party um and you get to be a part of it i can definitely tell you that i needed that nap uh <laughs> it's so overwhelming you know um and so overwhelming too because so much Enjoyment is wrapped up with stress about enjoying. This is why I tried to take up improv is because <laughs> because it's all about being in the moment, being free, being you know realizing that there are no 
there are no wrong choices. You can, like, fail in helping out your partner, but ultimately there are no wrong choices. You're just making it up. So coming here with the thrill of, you know, seeing everything or trying to see everything comes the stress of, will I see everything? Am I seeing enough? Could I be doing more? And then my body shuts down and I need a nap. Such is the cycle. Sometimes I wonder if I'm not seeing enough and I'm not feeling... 100% inspired by what I see to create further. Which is kind of annoying because I feel like that's part of what I'm here to do. Um, Charlie and I were just having a quick chat before I left about how it's important to put aside time to write while you're up here. Um, I think she meant it more in the journalistic sense of seeing so much and and recording it. I've never been good at journaling. I've never been good at keeping a diary. Um, Oh, someone just said that's tragic. Uh, But for me, it feels more like I'm forcing something or I'm overanalyzing an idea if I sit down to write. So maybe I need to do more of this, just just relaying what happened during the day. And what happened during the day for me was kind of interesting. You know, I went up on the Royal Mile. Oh, that's, hold on, that's what I should talk about. So these Royal Mile bits are fantastic. They are, they are being, they're akin to being thrown into the water, the deep end for me. Because so often I'm just genuinely so shy and terror-stricken, worried about making a fool of myself, then having to get up there, and it's like, no one's gonna, no one cares. No one's even gonna listen to me. And that's it. That's the worst that could happen. But at least I care. I care about what I'm saying. And it's that callous building of confidence Uh, That is something I'm definitely taking back with me to Chicago. Um, I'm actually really excited about that. Just signing up for more and more things, which means I need to have more and more things written to perform, which means I should be writing while I'm here. Side note, if I can get this for another day, and this would be like the next in terms of building confidence. You know, first it was getting up on stage at... Fiddler's Elbow, second was getting up on stage at the Royal Mile, and I think thirdly would be going up to strangers and asking them how the festival is going for them. And if any tragic moments have occurred to them. So, just saying. That might need to happen. On the Royal Mile again, I can see a jester. A dark jester. I see people standing on laptops. I can see everybody handing out flyers and wandering around looking a bit lost. I managed to avoid getting receiving most flyers. A good technique is having your own flyers in your hands. I found people don't want to flyer each other. It's the flyer exchange. And what I'm most interested in me doing is I'm watching Dave 
set up for a live GBA with Richard Tyrone Jones when he gets back from getting a cup of tea. It's really cool. BBC aren't the only ones who can do outdoor broadcasts and live recordings. Oh, I'm impressed. There's loads of good ideas and Dave's really got involved in all of them. It's a bit of a shock to find the... Um, I don't know, maybe it's my own fault. I wasn't aware that Stand Up Tragedy would be broadcasting on the stage on Friday like that with a live interview. To be honest, it had kind of slipped my mind. Um, Again, caught up in the podcast. But I've got a few good ideas. I'm just kind of nervous now. I always get kind of nervous because I want to deliver a really good job. But Dave, trust me, um, which is really nice. I'm not sure if... I always know what I'm doing, but things get done. And yeah, so I'll I'll work on a few ideas. Hang on, idea number one. Getting them to play, let's play a game. We're going to play a what would you do in this tragic situation. So that Charlie and MJ Hibbert can get to know each other. Good that I know their names. Note to self, I also have to plan some questions for Matthew Hyden this evening and work out when his show actually is. Although, to be honest, I can just ask him and look on the flyers because I'm sure that he'll bring some. I'm really looking forward to seeing him again. Oh, and also, I can see Richard Tyron Jones coming through the tower. I want to do Richard Tyron Jones's naughty moments. But apart from that, on the fringe, I've had a great time wandering around. I managed to get my mum's birthday present. Um, duties are done, all ticked off the list. I'm just going to go and grab him and then do some recordings. Yesterday. You saw some shows yesterday. Yes. What would you recommend and why would you recommend it? I would recommend everything that I saw, I think. I would recommend our show. I think our show is very good. And what is that? Stand-up tragedy. 6.30s at uh, Fiddler's Elbow. I would recommend it because, as Chris said, it's A's. But because it is such a true art of theater that... Uh, you get a little bit of everything, and it's the the comedy is sincere, the tragedy is sincere, the music's sincere, and it's really alive and good. How about how about the other things you saw? I saw Super Bard, The Flood, and that was phenomenal and really delightful. And I would watch it again because. Um, it's this fun mixed media that really works and the performer is engaging and just loves the audience and I always appreciate that and then also Dan Simpson's We Are All Orange Ghosts uh, which was also fantastic and felt like one of those you know, pop culture philosophy books come to life with uh, Pac-Man and everything. And it was really smart and also very, very good as an introspective in ourselves. And I connected with it, too, as someone who you kind of wake up in your 20s and realize this isn't me. This isn't who I am. This is this is a talking head song. Do you know where we're going? And so I would strongly, strongly recommend that as well. I'd have to say those are two of my favorite shows at the Fringe as well. I'm great. And I've really found spoken word. Being part of the PBH spoken word section has really opened up to me. Yeah. I never really got spoken word, but I feel like I I, I really have my head around it in a better way now. I can see the range of what's being done. What George does with Superbard is just so exceptionally interweaving of storytelling and spoken word and that's I was talking to uh, uh, one of our performers yesterday about 
about musicals and spoken word and about how the moment you break into a poem or the moment you break into a song is a great way of uh, relieving the emotional pressure or trying to find a way of uh, expressing an emotion that you may not be able to in normal prose. And I think both Superbard and, and Dan Simpson do a great job of that in their shows, and yeah. I think they are exceptional. Um, I also saw the Antisocial Network yesterday, which is unfortunately closing today, and she does uh, an exceptional job with that as well. And uh, what's already closed, um, Stealing the Moon. Yeah, you cannot steal the Brilliant, moon. brilliant so show. Um, again, all this spoken word and James Mackay's Victorian oh. readings. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough. Can't about say enough. PBH, pre-French spoken word. It's really opened up uh, the risk of sounding incredibly Chris is cliche. Side of the bridge. It's definitely opened up like my head and my heart to what theater can be. Yeah, You're, yeah. The range of things that you can accomplish. Yeah. Okay, I'm just checking that it's recording. Yeah, it's recording. So you don't want to press any buttons, but I guess you need to hold it. Okay, so you're interviewing, so you need to say what's going on. Okay, now we just came back from watching a really good show. And my name's... And I'm going to interview Dave Pickering about... What he thinks how good the show is. Okay. So, Dave, what what's the thing that you like about the show? Well, I really enjoyed Beck and Tom's awesome laundry. Uh, it was... I think that the thing that I liked the most about that show was some of the jokes were really funny and also there was a really moving part with a drawing... And that made me actually cry a little bit. And then actually, at the end, I even cried a little bit more. I don't want to spoil it before tell people what happens, but I found it very moving, as well as really funny, really fun. And I saw lots of people laughing. And even the stuff that I'm not that into, which is like jokes about poo and things like that, I could see that all the children really liked those bits. What, did you think that they liked those bits? Yes, I think they do. Okay, I'm going to tell you another question. Um, what do you think is the bit that you want it to improve on? Okay, what would I like it to improve on? Right, that's a very, uh, very challenging question. Good question. Thank you. Um, right, what would I like it to improve on? Well, I actually genuinely don't think there's very much to improve. I think they overran a little bit today, um, which didn't I didn't mind, and I don't think anyone necessarily did, but I think in Edinburgh it's important to be, like, uh, on the time because the next people are coming on. But I know that they understand that, and also I thought that um, it's only the second day, I think, or very early on in the run, so it's understandable. But there wasn't really a moment of the entire show all the way from beginning to end that I didn't really enjoy. Um, I know Beck Hill a little bit, so I um, knew what to expect. I knew I'd like it, and I do like her, so maybe I'm biased, because I, I guess she's a, a, a certainly a, a person I like. I don't know how you, when, when, when you become friends with someone, but there you go. Um, but I had never seen Tom do anything, and I thought Tom was very funny too. I really enjoyed that, that fact. I really enjoyed how like, Beck was like a really enjoying being a child and so was Tom actually enjoying being a different kind of child 
And I think as an adult, I'd like to be a child more often. I'd like to get to act like a child. I get to do that for my day job, I guess, when I'm singing songs with kids. But uh, it was nice to see some adults enjoying being childish. Okay, my next question is, um, what do you think is your... Who do you think is your favourite from Beck or Tom? That's a really good question, and I think that um, my answer is that I related to Beck the most. Like, I would be... I like... I think I was probably a little bit like that child, that kind of mischievous child. You're a little bit like that, aren't you? And you're my niece. Yes, exactly. And so I thought that I related to her a lot in that respect. But I also related to Tom quite a bit because he was quite... He liked facts and sensible things, didn't he? And I I quite like facts and sensible things, as well as being silly. I suspect that both Beck and Tom in real life like both those things. And that's why they're doing a silly and factual comedy show. But... So, uh, to, to answer your question, I couldn't choose and between the two of them. What I really liked was their friendship and how their friendship, um, how their friendship worked. Like how sometimes she was a bit wrong, and some like and some like and some and yet they still forgave each other and they 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 uh, looked after each other, didn't they? Yes, like proper friendship. Yeah. Okay. What do you think is the funniest? Oh, that's really hard. Uh, I think my funniest moment was an ad lib line where um, Beck, you know, when Beck read the mind of that boy with the iPhone? Yeah, that was really funny. And the mind of the boy said that he was in love with Beck. Yeah. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. Well, at, at that point, he was going, uh, yuck, uh, yuck, and stuff like that, and hiding behind his mum and saying no. And he was very, very, he, wa- he really wanted everybody to understand that not only did he not, wasn't he not in love with Beck, but he didn't, he didn't fall in love with girls. Um, and Beck said, that boy is reminding me too much of my teenage years. And that made me laugh a lot because it, I related to that joke. Uh, I can understand. I, I, I'm, I had an awkward teenage years, I guess, and I, I, I could understand why. I found that funny. But that's a joke that you might not have got so much because you're a child, and so there's, and you haven't been a teenager yet. So you will have had really different jokes that were your favourite. What was your favourite joke? Well, my favourite joke was the why is seven. Why is six afraid of seven? And the answer is because he had a knife. <laughs> Usually it's um, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. It's different. It's got a different answer. But with seven having a knife, that's really, really hilarious. It was funny, wasn't it? Yeah. I liked that bit as well. Actually, I, it wasn't a joke, but my I really, really, really liked the... St- the paper cut story with with you know where she when she was moving her and the bear around on the paper with yeah. music. Oh. Just a, I'll just a, get the sound men into a, adjust the mic. All right, here we go. There you go. It's fixed. Carry on with your interview. Thanks. Well, as I was 
just telling you about that. It was very, very, very funny. Yeah, it was. And the last thing is that um, this is a really, really good interview, and I'm very, very happy to interview about this. Very good. So you, you, you're saying you're a very good interviewer, or this is a very good interview? This is a very good interview. Right, so does that mean I've done well? Yes. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you've found me a good guest on your, on your segment of my show. Um, thank you. And you, when I asked you to, I asked you if I could, if you could review uh, it for me, didn't you? And you said, uh, no, you didn't want to do that. Yes, because I thought it was, it could be more fascinating if I could interview you. If it could be more fascinating. Yes, and it'd be more different and exciting as a child interviewing an adult. Okay. That's, well, I think that's an interesting decision to make, artistic decision on your part, a creative decision. Uh, very well done. Um, and I, I, just to let you know, I'll probably beep your name out of the beginning. So you will just be, my name is Beep, but you'll be known as my niece. Yes. Because that was the rules for your, when your mum agreed to do this. And for real life, I am your niece. And you so I am your niece. Yeah, you are my niece, that's right. Yes. And you, I'm allowed to call you that, yes. Yes. Well, thank you very much for interviewing me. And I hope that we have this opportunity to do this again sometime. Yes. Thank you. So, uh, Alex, <coughs> what shows have you seen while you've been at the Fringe? seen um, Beats. This is Alex, a.k.a. The Man Amp, who performed twice for stand-up tragedy in Edinburgh and also stayed with us for a while. Would you recommend either of them? Yeah, if you like that sort of thing. Wow, this is like the best review. Yeah, how were they good? Uh, The Scottish rave scene had a lot of great music in it. Really great music. So that's the reason to go to, which was... And it was... was Good. Um, Original music? No, it was like music from the 90s. And uh, so what's the name of the one that was about the Scottish rave scene? Beats. And that's an hour, is it? Yeah. Do you and remember where it was? Uh, it's in the Pleasance Courtyard. And was it like, what's the, like, is it a story or is it just like a showcase or what is it? Yeah, it's a story about like a teenager and his experiences of the Scottish rave scene. Okay, now let's think how Alex thinks in your reviews. How many stars would you give it? Uh, Ooh, how many stars would you give it for its music? For its music, it's five stars, definitely. How for about for its content? Um... Four stars. Oh, that's pretty high. Okay, what's the other one? The other one's about the other one's about a nun, and it's two hours long. Angus of God. And where is it? Um, in the Royal Scots Club. Okay, and what? Were, and w- w- how many stars would you give the play about a nun that's two two hours long? <laughs> it's an hour forty five minutes long. Well. <laughs> Um, that's like how 99 pence things are a pound I'll give it three stars three stars yeah high three stars low three stars what the hell does that mean I know but that's why he that's why he likes he likes that 
I don't like star systems, but I know that the heat has that, and other people relate to it. <laughs> Why would you give it three stars? The acting was good. Sorry, I get. Uh, yeah, the story was all right, wasn't it? It's a good idea for a story. The general consensus that when I was talking to people who'd come, gone to see the show with you is that it was too long. It was over long. Yeah. How would you have fixed that as a aspiring playwright yourself? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't... It wasn't like The Dark Knight over long. That was over long. Well, the Dark Knight, the second or, or any modern film, any modern doesn't like a, any modern film, though. No. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't that. It wasn't too much. Of what a would? What? Why should someone go and see it? If they're interested in stuff like that, then they might get something. And what is stuff like that? Like I've like, said, none. But yeah, it's like a religion. It's like a nun who claims to have a virgin birth, and ends up. Is it a miracle? Is it not a miracle? Is it a miracle? Is it not a miracle? Yeah. Is it a miracle? Is it not a miracle? Which is apparently a totally unoriginal trope, but I didn't realise that. That's a well unoriginal trope. (laughs) Yeah. You can, you get it, you find it in other genres that aren't about religion, like, is it magic? Is it real? Is it magic? Is it real? Yeah. That's another way of doing it. Hmm. Is he a genius or just a savant? You know, this is just like that, that, that question. Mm. Um, okay. Well, thanks for your uh, pithy uh, and... Okay. How uh, would you rate the rest of your fringe experience uh, as a performer? Good question. It's been good. It's been good. I enjoyed it. What are your high notes? Your highlights? Uh, John always hate those high notes. It depends on <laughs> uh, All of it, really. Did you enjoy busking more than performing on a stage? Like, how do they compare? It's about the same. About the same. Low notes? Low notes? Uh, Low notes? Losing my drum machine on the first day. But you found <laughs> it. Again. I found it, yeah. So that was a highlight as well, I suppose. <laughs> well, what have you enjoyed the most about Edinburgh? Finding my drum machine. <laughs> what have you enjoyed the least about <laughs> Losing my drum machine. Yeah. Uh, food and drink recommendations? Um, there's a really nice panini in the um, Beats thing. Hmm. £4.50. Very, very good. I'm not usually impressed with paninis, but I was impressed with that one. Hmm. You're giving like, the most like clear and like enthusiastic review of the panini compared to like the rest <laughs> of the Edinburgh experience. <laughs> and how have you enjoyed your experience with stand-up well, tragedy? <laughs> Well, I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I'll get to that, right. I'll come to no pad. The yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying the the two plays were kind of, you know, I mean, it was a five-star panini, but it was only a four-star and three-star place, so... Right. That's why. That's why you're more enthusiastic about the panini than the place. One yeah. might say, if you wanted that to be like a... If, if you were looking for shows to go to, you might think, well... If a panini is better than those two plays, they aren't really worth going to. We could spend our money on something else or take a risk on something on the free fringe where there's no financial uh, loss involved in the, uh, in the sure, show. Sure, sure. But I'm only judging it against other paninis. 
I'm not judging like a panini against the plate. Okay. <laughs> so the panini in that place is really good. Yeah. And how would you, uh, what would you, have you got any comments about your time performing at Stand Up Tragedy or living no. with Stand Up Tragedy? It's been fun. It's been fun. Good. Would you do it again? Yeah, I could do it again. He could do it again. He, he took that as like a potential offer, like like not not. Like, yeah, I could do it again. Let's get the diaries out. See, I see. Yeah. Okay. And how would you rate the producers? Very good. That's it. Just attractive. <laughs> yeah, they're all very attractive. Erudite. Star rating. He's done. Five star producers. Five star producers. That's good. Oh, what's going on all of the literature <laughs> five star producers <laughs> the man one of my favourite um, like things or one of the flyers for somebody was I can't remember I was going to go see a show it's something like I only <coughs> bumped into her on the street but I liked her was a quote that somebody had from a famous like comedian that's good yeah yeah great so- thanks for your reviews and for your performances it's been good to bring your unique perspective on the world to the Edinburgh Fringe they've been for too long separated expected to see you I'm expecting to see you up here next year with your one one man show based around probably what Neanderthals God and uh, (laughs) yeah Neanderthals and Jesus yeah good to do it on the free fringe don't have to pay for the venue. So that was Alex, who was a guest at our house. And this is Nina Gray, who will be coming out on GBA in the future. She stayed with us and performed with us at Stand Up Tragedy. And it was her first time at the Fringe as well. So I asked her to record her initial Interesting response. seeing people in costume acting normally. Like there's a whole group of Nazi soldiers having coffee. <laughs> It's a rubbish. The Royal Mile is kind of interesting. <laughs> There's a lot of street performers and people advertising their shows and they're just doing whatever they think it takes to get people to pay attention. So there's a lot of living statues and people in costume, uh, people in costume and in character, and people you just can't figure out unless you stop. And that's, I think, a high-risk, high-gain thing, because most people won't stop. The people who have stopped and have found out made an investment in you and so probably more likely to come and see you there are people in shopping trolleys pretending to be slaughtered chickens I think and there's kind of rangers going around checking everyone's okay it's hard to actually see the popular act they've got big crowds around get a really good look at the ones who aren't doing so well 
And I have to say, they're plowing on through. I'm perfecting my leaflet turning down face. Edinburgh is really intense in people and experiences and just unexpected things. And it's so full of people, but the land and the architecture just kind of creep up on you. Swell up behind the crowd. Everyone wants to come and see their show. All these people clamouring for attention. There's a vulnerability to standing on a street corner and giving out flyers, just asking for people to pay attention. I'm kind of squeamish about it, and I know a lot of people are, and probably a lot of people who are doing it here are. It feels intrusive. Okay, Nina, we just got out of a complete and comprehensive history of the Roman Empire in less than an hour. Thoughts? I think I came in with expectations a bit too high. <laughs> really? Oh, I, I like like I like the horrible history books. Uh, yeah. So history can be funny and things, but he wasn't historically accurate or that funny. So I think if you're going to be historically inaccurate, you need to be very funny. Or if you're not going to be very funny, you should at least be accurate. But he didn't do either. He's sort of like in the middling ground in both of them. So, um, I mean, it's all right. <laughs> but oh, it's not great. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think there was a bit of mania in there where he was trying to get through through the whole history, which he had to do because he promised the whole history of the Roman Empire, didn't he? Um, but yeah, I don't know. People seem to respond better to just normal club material when he was just chatting to the audience. Very telling of audiences. I enjoyed it. I think maybe it could have been. I enjoyed the preview we saw a bit better because it was a bit shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. I think I learned some things. Very cool. Um, yeah, it lost a bit of momentum. I mean, that is a long, an hour of material is hard to sustain. But he was a friendly guy. He connects with the audience really well. I went to genuinely learn something, and now I feel so knowledge about the Roman Empire. I'm just going to go... I've had a science lesson today. I went to domestic science. I've just had a history lesson today with that. I'm... I, I, can't, I literally can't hold any more information. It's oozing out of me. It's oozing out of me on the fringe. Don't, tri- don't trip on the microphone. Hi. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was good. Highlights? Highlights. Um, well, the whole Roman Empire highlights. All the death and burning of people. I really liked him describing the Romans as... Um, stabby bastards. Stabby bastards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, just redneck stabby bastards. I could connect with that. Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate than the whole civilised yeah. impression. Yeah, he didn't have penicillin, so that's what I think of studies. Liz. Oh, I think I'm probably going to be the most critical as a, as a historian. I I did not like it. I felt like it was a history lesson with a little bit of comedy, and I would have preferred, you know, you're a comedian, do comedy. 
you don't have to be comprehensive, even though it says in your title. It's uh, you could have taken more license with it and done a lot more material. The Romans are a fascinating group of people, and you could have really gone and done some elaborate and interesting stuff. Instead, I got a sort of bullet pointed history of the Romans, and I took a class on the War and Peace in Greece and Rome, and you're a classicist, you probably have the same response. Like, I appreciate that he's interested in it, I appreciate that there's historical comedy out there, and I think there should be more of that, but you know, be free to be a comedian. You don't need to be a history lecturer. Because he really, he really did light up when he was bantering a bit more. Yeah, and that's the point. Like, he knows this stuff cold, so play with it. Yeah, yeah. Go a little deeper onto like a, you know a few things, like a couple things. Maybe change it up every night. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I and I also agree with everyone. The preview I think was a little bit tighter, a little bit better. Like, well, it's also interesting. I felt kind of like when I realized he was uh, going into the Second Punic War, and that's you know when he lit up at our so-called preview of it. Um, it's like, oh, well, I've seen this already, and how this is going to be a good chunk of the hour, too. So, oh, okay. Like, I feel that preview that he'd implied that he knew an awful, awful lot, and he does know an awful lot, but, like, had a lot of stuff that he wasn't going to cover in his show and could sort of pull off, okay, let's talk about Hadrian, let's talk about this, let's talk about that. Whereas, no, it was very formulaic, and I understand that it's the fringe and you want to highlight the material you're going to highlight and you have so much time to memorize, but still, if you're going to imply that you know everything about the Roman Empire, do it. Play with the stuff that you wouldn't get to play with. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I I feel similarly to you as well, Liz. Like I, and, and actually, like I feel like I'm probably going to be less critical because it's like, oh, well, I don't need to be a dick about it. Oh, I have a classics degree. First of all, I barely remember my <laughs> youth. And then secondly, also, it's just like, oh, this is, like, I'm just so great that someone else is, like, geeking out about sure. it. But I think, you know, here's the thing. Like, when we went to see James uh, Mackay, he had this mania in his eyes of, like, I love, and he's just like, I want, it's like, he doesn't even care if, like, you love it. He's like, because he loves it 110%. And so you're going to love it no matter what. Because you're just... Same with Dan Simpson. Yes. You are wrapped up into it. And I think this guy, like, um, I mean, thrilled for him that he had so many people. But the venue was quite big. And it might have been better with, like, a, even a more intimate setting. And and if, if he had been more of the mania with a good stage presence and a comedian being like, I'll take on this niche aspect. Because uh, it's like, I was just thrilled that someone was was going to, you know, take an hour and just geek out over uh, the Roman Empire. That's fabulous. But at the same time, it's like, how, like, you can do so much with it. Like we were saying, like, like take one aspect and then, like, really embellish about, like, here are things you probably don't know. And they're fucked up because fact is always stranger than fiction. Yeah, like the fact that they used to bathe with oil and then scrape themselves with tools. Like, that's mental. Uh, the fact, like the Greeks, they used to wrestle naked. Like, interesting stuff. It would apply to a broader audience. Even the military stuff, which obviously I've taken a course in, so I remember just the tactics involved, the way that you form various phalanxes and things like that. You could have talked about that at great length. There's comedy material right there. Sure. Or even, I mean, I would, and, and like we were saying about the 
you were saying plumbing. they invented plumbing. That's invented plumbing. Right there. Well, on top of that, like you were saying, uh, you know, the like be more of a comedian than a historian, or be much more of a historian than a comedian. Don't one way or the other. Don't be uh, because it, he could have he could have just gone like shits and giggles with the whole idea of um, uh, Romans as. Um, redneck stabby yeah, people like, like keep describing it keep creating these images in our mind and we'll be hilarious Chris thoughts yes I'll give you a thought after this plug for the next show <laughs> are you guys up for um, Chris Coltrane Tory bashing comedy uh, 3.30 4.30 just down the road 3 a.m. if you want to go see Caleb's thing in the meantime well, that's what we're that's what we're about to move off and do. And I'll just say that this was um, uh, somewhat ruined for me by the wonderful stand-up tragedy act a while ago, who uh, gave part of his musical history of the popes, which was very fine. And this was was the standard that I was holding this up to in that expectation. Uh, Joe Murphy. It uh, was well. Uh, Sergeant good. Buzzfuzz. Sergeant Buzzfuzz. Yes. All right. I'm back on the Royal Mall. I've just done something quite challenging for myself, something a bit different. Um, I've just done Dave's workshop on true storytelling, where we just had to pick a story, get up on stage, and tell it to people. I'm not... It made me kind of... It was nice. I felt quite cool while I was, you know, flicking through my mind and trying to choose a memory or a specific story to tell people. And I was going over all the things that I've done and the people that I've known and maybe when I was a teenager or what I used to get up to at school or when I was in uni or what I've been doing since or my family and I know a lot of, I know and I've known like hundreds of brilliant people and they've all done, like made me do something different and because I'm not the kind of person to say no or ever sit still. There's probably a lot of examples, but obviously none of them spring to mind. So I picked one story. I think it's probably my only funny story, and luckily it went down well, I guess, just because I get into it and I'm a nice person, I suppose is one of my strengths when it comes to talking to people. But I'm really, really, yeah, surprised that I can talk about myself. I like talking about other people a lot better, which is what I'm about to do now. I'm going to hit up some more people for a few more tragic moments because I feel like I haven't done very much today even though I'm sure that I have. I mean, there's some guy tap dancing and something tragic must happen. And there's a guy with a beard over there who looks a bit like a wizard and I bet he has something interesting to say. So I'm going to go talk to him. If you hate Americans, we're not all Americans. If you love Americans, one of us is an American. I'm also Canadian! <laughs> Do you like Canadians or Americans or English people? Probably not English people. Let's not say English people again. Sorry. Stand up tragedy. Yeah, this is what most people do, you see. Well, that's what we need, barbershop quartet. Why didn't we put one of them? Free flyer for a free show. We won't charge you any money for the flyer. We won't charge you any money for the show. Here we go. Free, free flyer, free show. Anybody want a free flyer for a free show? Come on, why not? It's a tragedy. At one hour of free tragedy, free flyer. This flyer doesn't cost you anything and nor does the show. 
free show. Free show. We got a free show here. Get your free shows. People always think things aren't interesting. People always finish a conversation with me and say, oh, yeah, that's yeah, really then, boring. Then, but you know what really you do boring. is you leave, the, you leave the pause and then they, they say what was really interesting if you make them like, guys, leave it and not stop them. That's Are you point. going to yeah. be sleeping on single air mattresses in those two rooms? Yeah. Yes? I'm so let's use, go to them. Yes? I'm using that yes. bit. And you? For sure. <laughs> You, David. Yes. You're sleeping in here with Alice. Elizabeth. Maybe by helicopter. It appears that has become the way. Are you sleeping on the couches? Are you putting? I was trying to put people who would be most sleep friendly with each other. I was doing a system of like trying to match people's sleeping patterns, but that's quite complicated. So I will go. You are too considerate. Altered, of some way. Hey, I'll be doing the same approach if I was. if I wasn't drunk, I would do the same thing if I was drunk or I'm not drunk. But fair enough, I am drunk. Right. I'm drunk, guys. Guys, love me. <laughs> right, you ready? Love me, even We're gonna though go. I'm drunk. Oh. Me and Alex okay. are sleeping in here. Yes, let's go. I play hide and seek, but I'm going to wear this. So you'd be able to When do she it. said this, she meant the Jester's hat. We're going to play hide and seek in the park. With It'll be like wearing a jester because it's dark. I'm giving a signal, which is. This. Oh, I, I don't think this is a normal thing to do, but it <laughs> might be quite interesting. Well, you know. So I'm, I'm here with James Hamilton from Casual Violence, who's no. just been door stopped, I guess, without a door. Uh, when are your shows? When are your shows? Uh, our shows, our House of Nostril, our new show is at 3.45 at the Pleasant's Courtyard, uh, and that's on for the full run. And for the first two weeks, we are doing our best of show, Omnom Nominus, at the uh, Voodoo Rooms at 7.15. You're also going to be performing with us on the last day on the 14th, yes. which is great. We're looking forward to that, seeing a tragic sketch yeah. of yours. We've got, we've got one from the new show, actually. Actually, which is the most heartbreaking bit of the show and yeah, it's, it's always gone down really well heartbreaking so as well we like. yeah. have you had any tragic moments yet on the fringe well, we've only been up 24 hours so <laughs> hope not yet it's the been first 24 hours all feels a little bit like a tragic moment the tragic though, moment for me actually was getting here like just coming out in Edinburgh and not feeling any kind of novelty not feeling excited just kind of going well like, not even realising we're here it's just like getting off a tube in London going right off to work well, yeah. yeah no it's so well that there's no novelty anymore and it's like in the last year hasn't happened wow well that was quite grim it was yeah. tragic in a muted sort of way yeah that's it, it, it <laughs> yeah and it's like you're so tired at this stage isn't it that's the funny thing it's like yeah. you think oh i'm gonna relax before i go because but you don't relax before you go and then you come here already sleep deprived yeah exactly there's not going to be any sleep while we're here so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's it yeah, yeah yeah this is our first day firing so yeah and we've only got the free show tonight because yeah. anyone doesn't start to it's the same with so. us we got in yesterday uh when we when did we go in 5 30 we went straight to the venue to set up the venue liz has not she drove the van and, and, and she has hardly slept so we're, we're making sure she uh, brings that tragic experience to our flight. Uh, where is it? Good luck. Have you had, have you had, oh, first one tonight, right? Yeah, first one tonight. Good luck, Good luck for you. Charlie, yeah. what uh, show have you just seen? I just went to see something at a site called The Book Club. Yeah. And uh, it was a group of people sat round on plastic chairs 
um, there were some drinks, like bottles of like plastic bottles of drinks in the middle. Right. And there was a microphone that got passed around. It was, you know, there was one guy who was like comparing it, and he just had boxer shorts on. I thought this is experimental. Just like boxer it, shorts. just boxer shorts. So nothing on his top. Yeah, and the guy that I was with, which was quite funny, the guy that like took me there was like, all oh, of these people are really like famous comedians. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, he was going, no, because I was like thinking it was a really weird situation. He was going, all oh, these people are like, and there was this one guy who was like, he's a really established comedian. This guy was like, yeah. and anyway, the compare at one stage, they were all talking about Viagra. Some people had taken Viagra. And the the, the, the comfort had taken Viagra, and they were talking about it, and then everyone was like, show us how it works. He took down his trousers, and I, at first, when he got his cock out, I went like that, and then someone said to me, don't worry, you can look at the cock, it's not bad. And I thought, well, you know, that's, why am I, why am I being so prudish in this situation? Like, really I'm true. pretending to be well, like, one, one thing you know. this interview is missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm holding Viagra now for the first time in my life, maybe incredible. not last. You should, you should try one and see if the interview turns you on. I think oh, it's all that happened. Yeah, basically, all that will happen is in yeah. one hour you'll get a hot face. Is it illegal to take Viagra? But also, actually, no. Yes. This is going to be like. Um, if I if I, t- if I if I if I took if I took a Viagra, right? It would be like, what the fuck would I be doing that for? But I, I don't want an erection all day tomorrow or all day tonight. I, I don't need that in my life. I've got a show to run, and I've got I've got into you on erection. I've got into. I don't think it works. I've got interviews. Well, you're gonna big God. I've got interviews to record. That that was the voice of Richard Tyrone Jones trying to supply me with Viagra. The resident Viagra pusher tries to make everyone take Viagra. This is what happens when you invite... Always. This is what happens when you invite poets into your house. It's free at first and then you start charging. That's what drug dealers do. They give you free and then you get addicted. No, I give you for free. Supply it and then you have to pay. Then I give you some more for free because I'm going to be alone forever and I will never need you. Jesus. You're still recording. Okay, I am recording and... but anyway, let me just say that one. Well, I was very impressed by the fact that it rose to a very to an audience. So people were going like like cheering it on. And yeah, I that would make my cock not yes, exactly. get erect. But what do it you think that's about? Do you think that's about a comedian that is like so turned on by like the idea of being listened to that it like gives him an erection? Yeah, he must. That's what made made me think. Really made me think. What about him? Like, it made me think about, like, that guy who was the actor who said he could only orgasm if two people told him he was a really good actor. Oh, yeah, we had like, that, that conversation kind of, like, ego, the night, yeah. That Which kind one? Of, What's his name? No, but, like, someone was telling me that they slept with someone who was an actor and, like, he really liked it and sex to be like, yeah, you're a really talented actor. I like doing sex. Was it Alan Rickman? chaps. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but I wondered whether that was part of it. Voice of Radio 4. So this guy hadn't planned to get this erection out. Well, I don't know. Like, I was a newcomer to that thing, right? Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, basically, I was told that these were, like, really famous comedians and all, like, being really experimental. Right, well, he but was being experimental, but was he a famous comedian? Was it Jimmy Carr? No, I can't even remember. Tony? Or Michael McIntyre? Tony Laws. Maybe. Um, big beard. He had a beard. That could be. He was him. quite chubby. Yeah. And he said that loads of his stuff chubby. he can't do any shows anymore because he gets banned. But okay. Um, like the guy that I was with was okay. telling me everyone was really famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they were. Oh, I wanted to make clear it wasn't something I wanted to know. I wanted to make clear that any that that 
Nobody on this podcast is in any way implying that the comedian Tony Law was the guy that got his cock out. Uh, absolutely, as legally speaking, he definitely did. You can look. You can look. Yeah, Google the guy that gets his cock out, Charlie. Well, maybe it was the first time <laughs> he's done it. Google it now. Let's maybe it was his first That's time. Was there a load of dust and it's not on YouTube yet. It, but people were filming it. It certainly yeah, was yeah. someone who, who is none of the celebrities that we named, because legally speaking, that's a nightmare. Hello, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. No, I'm just kidding. This is Bryony's Getting Better Acquainted episode, recorded especially for Dave at my first free fringe to record my first fringe experience. I am the podcast producer for Stand Up Tragedy. I guess that's my role. I do a few other things as well, such as hang out be their friend, make cups of tea, sometimes I tinker around a little bit. This festival I've treated the guys to a major, to a brilliant exclusive performance session on a Monday night, wine fueled, obviously. I don't think Liz Bailey will forget that song. I can reflect on all of this now because I am sitting in the stand-up, well, what was, I guess, formerly the Stand-Up Tragedy Headquarters. It's a kitchen. We've been doing the recording in here. We've been doing sleeping in here. We've been doing editing in here. And now it's it was full of flyers. There was food everywhere. Jack Daniels bottles, wires everywhere. God. Gal- yeah, technology galore. Recording equipment, flyers. Did I mention the flyers? So many flyers. The recycling, oh my god, my, my, my eco-guilt, my eco-guilt from looking at all of those bits of paper. Um, yeah, but now, I'm sitting on the sofa, I'm looking at it, the floor is clean, except for a few filters. There's some paracetamol left behind. Just my laptop at our workbench where we, me, Dave and Harv have been getting up at 8am every day to edit and upload and sync all of our audio for the day. That's generally how my days have gone at Stand Up Tragedy so far this fringe. Now that it's all over, so I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been trying to record some stuff as I've gone around, but it's been a little bit difficult. Maybe some of it will be useful. I don't know, Dave. You can just tell me. Typical Stand Up Tragedy day. We got into a routine pretty quickly. I like it. We gelled. We really gelled like family. I didn't like Dave telling me various planning things very very late at night in the morning i can handle it when i'm editing and i have those headphones on i'm in the zone man it's hard to think of anything else but we gelled very well apart from that me dave and half would sit around the kitchen worktop table i would make the podcast until about 11 i don't know depends how long it takes me to sort everything out we'd record some scripts we'd write some stuff we'd plan ahead we'd do the videos we'd do everything And then we've managed to branch out and we've got other people on board to help us. It's wonderful. Yeah, the rest of the team would kind of dodge around. We'd get some bleary eyes, swap stories from the night before, work out what shows we wanted to see. Admin, admin, admin. Organization, admin. Lose the keys, admin. Work out how many cups of tea you're going on the coffee and, and coffee and tea and more tea and coffee and toast. And occasionally we've been treated to some wonderful breakfasts and some wonderful dinners. It's been, yeah, a proper good family. If, if I was going to live in an office, 
if I was going to live at work, I think this is a good way to do it. I think we've got, um, I think we've got a good formula here. But my fringe, good God, I'm amazed that we managed to fit so much in. So making a podcast, doing our own show, flyering, in between all of that, we still managed to fit in maybe like four shows a day on average, five if I was including out mine. And then my record was eight, if um, not including stand-up tragedy. That was a good day. And to be honest, I can't even process, I can't even process all of the ones that I've seen. Um... Right now, sitting here, the things that spring to mind, my major comment is that spoken word is amazing. I think all of the team have felt that. Maybe that's because that's the kind of hub, that's the circle that we're working in. I've been to some of the, I've been to the fringe comedy stuff, or free fringe comedy stuff, and, like, spoken word is funnier than the comedy. Ugh. Especially, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> no comments. If somebody is brave enough to stand up on stage and try and tell jokes, it's certainly something that I couldn't do. I'm having, yeah, trying to remember and explain things. I'm having flashbacks in my mind of all these different snapshots of scenes of plays and in different rooms and standing there and different feelings. I tell you, I have been really moved this festival by some of the performances. And just really impressed by some people's skill and dedication and, like, I love being told stories, you know? I've, you know, I love people sharing things. That's why I'm, you know, natural radio interviewer. I am so curious about people and the world and if they can express that in a really original way. I love it. One of my favourite things has been walking into a venue, sitting down for an hour. It's the tiniest little black room ever. There's somebody standing on stage in their jeans and a t-shirt and maybe like a... Dave, you're like this. Maybe a clipboard, just like you. And you don't know what you're going to see next. Oh my god. The first show that I saw was Matt Panish, who's also Monkey Poet, doing this strange play that he's developed called like based on the film love actually called love hurts actually and he performs all of the characters as like a satire um what else have i seen that i've never ever seen before today i saw dan simpson doing um like a lecture and trying to make people feel that they can be different but universally they should feel comfortable in the world we we all share this kind of outsider um, feel it, we all share feelings of being an outsider a lot of the time just like the orange ghosts in Pac-Man beautiful extended metaphor and I learned stuff about Pac-Man that I've never learned before Sophia Walker has an amazing backstory um, I feel incredibly naive and uh, I don't know I feel like I've got a hell of a lot of potential and a lot of things to do and ex like things to experience based on what she had to tell us in her show um faye roberts had a brilliant um spoken word cabaret so that was a lovely thing to pull together so do um god what's it called forget what you heard about spoken word that was a really great show that was like very kind of the the younger side of um 
the spoken word scene, like for new stuff, it was great. And James Mackay reciting some old, old school, brilliant, epic Victorian poems, just beautifully delivered and captivating. And just, I love it when somebody really gets into their performance and really like just puts so much thought behind it and develops it so well, like um, Superbad, The Flood. So many different elements. It's completely DIY, completely made from scratch. He's just had this idea and he's run with it and he's made it happen. I guess, so I could go on and on about like hundreds of fantastic shows that I've seen, like hundreds of new things that I've been exposed to. Saw Patti Smith, that was something else, doing Reading Ginsburg and a children's show and casual violence and just, ah, uh, yeah. Matt Hyten's show was brilliant as well. I've laughed my butt off. <laughs> oh, God. Um, what would I kind of... Hmm. I guess it makes me really, really want to really really want to do more do loads like i love making the podcasts and stuff and i love being part of this scene i want to keep it like i want to keep this momentum i think everybody feels like that i know una was talking about being completely inspired but she's a performer i suppose i want to put people out there i want to work on instrument like interesting projects and i've been talking to people and it's great everyone's got wonderful ideas um, it's just a matter of kind of applying it to real life and not letting real life get in the way again now that Edinburgh's over. God, it came about all of a sudden. I was just sort of sitting there and then Dave was emailing me going, we need to prep for Edinburgh. And I'm like, yeah, ah, it's in a week. I haven't even booked my coach tickets yet. <laughs> Managed to book the wrong, hence I'm sitting in the kitchen by myself while the rest of the team have already gone home today. Uh, I think one of the strangest, like, one of the best things is all, like, one of the best things about doing something completely different, like Edinburgh, it was so unique, is obviously the people that you share it with, and I mean, I really would never, ever, it's not, a, it's not like a normal, I don't know, the people, everyone who makes up the stand-up tragedy team are so different. Shall we say, they're not like my regular group of friends, you know, postgraduate student and all of that kind of stuff. But everybody's so different and everyone has something like to contribute and everyone works so hard and everyone's so fun. But we all kind of share this drive to do something amazing and see good shows and just enjoy ourselves. Everybody is so up for enjoying themselves. I mean, I don't know, one of my highlights is probably like me and Harv going to go and like watch Mega Gamers. I was like, yeah, let's go play Human Guess Who and Human Hungry Hippos late at night. You're up for it, aren't you, mate? It's good fun. And then we come back and we just hang out in the kitchen and, I don't know, <laughs> Dave, <sighs> gives us some, we have, big debates like I talk about things with you guys that I would never ever get into discussions about I've really really enjoyed finding out a little bit more about people on the stand-up tragedy team just because um 
we see each other at the shows and we've got all of this organisation going on over online and everything, but there's so many different segments to it. I've never really known... It's really nice to see all the different strands come together and find out a little bit about the people behind all of the hard work that we put in, strange as it sounds. So it's been wonderful, wonderful spending loads of time with you guys. And now back to reality, back to trying to explain exactly what the hell has happened for the last two weeks. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go back to work. Anyway, I've had several cups of tea. I'm waiting for Lucy Ertz to get back in. I might have a shower. I'm done, man. I am spent. Edinburgh Festival, you have been fantastic. But yeah, I'm pooped. And I'm going to end my GBA like that. So, so many things Actually, happened. I could do it all again. In those kind of 11 days or 13 days, probably, if you count traveling and traveling back, that I spent doing stand-up tragedy at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival as part of the PBH Free Fringe. It was an intense time. It was a brilliant time. I was surprised that everything went so smoothly. Like all great experiences, it was, in fact, filled with surprise. One of the things that took me by surprise is that I had no time to record any Getting Better Acquainted episodes. I mean, I did record three. I, I recorded three live performances, but I didn't have time to sit down with various people that I'd had on a list and record hour-long conversations with them. And an hour's a long time in Edinburgh. An hour is the length of a show. You know, every night the team, in some formulation, because we different nights different people were around different nights different guests were staying with the team but the team in some format got together and got better acquainted off mic that was where the really amazing conversations that I had in Edinburgh happened but they didn't happen on mic but I did record some bits of those kind of nights and they've been displayed for you in this podcast but Generally speaking, I didn't. And why didn't I? I don't know. I was on stage for at least an hour every day. There were so many things that we were recording and putting out on the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. Maybe there's only so much of your life that you can share with people. Maybe that's part of the reason that I lost the kind of interest, the will to record stuff in that way. The first few days, yes, I'd been on it. I'd been recording bits and bobs and you've heard them today. But after that... Less so. I just became involved in a time, in a moment, in a process, and getting better acquainted became less important as stand-up tragedy expanded to fill all of my days. So a spoken word was a revelation to us, and we saw lots of spoken word. I saw loads of comedy. We saw stand-up and sketch and Everything in between and around that improv. We saw so many really amazing things on the fringe this year. See amazing things on the fringe any year if you're lucky, if you find them. Because, of course, there is a lot of stuff out there that is bad, but there is also a lot of stuff out there that is good. And the thing about the fringe is it's all there. So it's all there to be found. And that means that the best stuff is there 
And there's so much of it that the chances of you seeing some of the best stuff are high. And I really recommend The Fringe as a punter and as a performer in the right moments in in your development. At least not not always going to have a good fringe, I think, if you're a performer. Actually, I think often more established and successful performers find it very draining uh, because they are kind of equaled a little bit and it's harder for them to get people in the normal. I think that people who have been trying for years, it's it's a massive suck of money. It's really hard to make any money. It's really hard to make the fringe work for you financially. But if you want an experience and if you want to be exposed to so many new materials then that's the place to go. And with the PBH Free Fringe, which uh, Stand Up Tragedy and Getting Better Acquainted were both a part of, you can see stuff for free. And this quality of the stuff that you see for free is really high. So actually, it's never been a better time to be a punter or a performer going to the Edinburgh Festival because you can be a part of making free art. And that is a great thing to be able to be a part of. So Stand Up Tragedy Before I Went Away to Edinburgh was a show that I ran and I had some people who helped me do it and they were my team. But I, but when I went up to Edinburgh, team became more like a family, became more like, like I already had friends as part of that team. I was already quite friendly with everybody in that team, but that team became something more so something I became more friendly with those people and me have been through an experience and we've made a show and these things are a little obnoxious when you see them from the outside kind of cliquey and people getting private kind of language to the way that they communicate shared reference points that other people can't get and that can be a little bit obnoxious from the outside but when you're inside it it is a beautiful thing and the relationships that I made, the increased relationships that I made with that team, I think are going to hold fast for a long time. And Stand Up Tragedy, at least during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, was more than a show. It was a group of people and a group of people that I spent a lot of time with. And they did amazing stuff. They all really, really impressed me. And I'm incredibly proud of the people who came together to make stand-up tragedy happen not only did we make a great show and we made a consistently great show with lineups that were really excellent and with podcasts that were really brilliant but we also each individually did kind of amazing things uh within our own area that a team is not just separate parts put together to make something better a team i think when they when it works well or a group of people, we don't have to call it a team, a friendship group, whatever we say, whatever you want to call it, because it doesn't have to be framed in this kind of market work place framework. But a team is, when it works well, it's not just something big, bigger than the sum of its parts. It also allows all of those parts to develop and become more than they were when they came into the team. And I think, I hope, I, 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 I think that that is what happened to everybody in the Stand Up Tragedy team during Edinburgh, that we were all inspired by the festival and by each other and by the process. And we learned that we could do things that we didn't think we could necessarily do, or we learned that we could do things, or we proved that we could do the things we knew we could do to more people than just ourselves. 
And so, I mean, I just want to say thank you to everybody in that team for being such wonderful people to work with. Stephen Harvey is our tech guy and he is more than just a tech guy. He performed at the festival and he, I think he's got come back to London with like more desire to go out there and, and play his music for people. And he should because he's a great singer and he's a great songwriter and he should be getting his stuff out there. But he has been an amazing force in the team. He has teched every show and he's done so with absolute patience and he's always been kind and uh, just a rock to everybody in the team both on stage and off stage I heartily recommend him as someone to tech your shows I also recommend him as a producer he's been mixing down all of our sound he's been taking all of the video content off he's got loads and loads of skills I really really recommend him if you're looking for someone to do those kinds of things you should contact me at gbapodcast at gmail.com and I will put you on to him. He is really excellent. Liz Bailey, who you can hear in an early Getting Better Acquainted, I think she's episode four or something like that. She co-produces the show and is has been an essential part of everything that Stand Up Tragedy has done pretty much from the start. She does so many things behind the scenes, although she feels, I think, sometimes like she, she doesn't really do anything and, and, and everybody else are, are the people that she's supporting. And that she, that's, the, that's, that's how good a co-producer she is. She thinks of the show from the outside. That's kind of what you need to have. But she shouldn't feel so outside because she has been essential. Without Liz, nothing would have happened. She did a heroic job of driving the fucking van to Edinburgh and back which was uh, a very intense experience for for her and for all of us I think but an exhausting but also she did it she massively helped organize the stuff before we went without her really I would not have been able to do this and I am so grateful But she is a creative and interesting person in her own right, and she feeds that into stand-up tragedy, even if she doesn't notice that she does so. And she has looked after everybody. I mean, I have too. It's been exhausting to be looking after people, and sometimes it feels like people don't notice that they're the work that you're doing when you're doing stuff like behind the scenes work or uh, managing work or, or or that sort of thing and I know that everybody appreciates what Liz has done and I hope she understands that we all do Bryony e. Hawkins is an amazing young audio producer who is going to go far and she produces the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. Without her, I would not even be able to produce that podcast because I don't have time to produce two podcasts in my life all the t- at the moment, especially not with the live shows. And she came to Edinburgh and she worked so hard. She's she's confident in the right ways she goes out there and she gets things and she's a hard working person and again she's definitely somebody who I would advise you contacting if you want to make audio stuff like if you want to run audio podcasts ideally if you want to pay her because she has just graduated and she is very talented and you can hear the 
work she has done with Stand Up Tragedy all through this year on the podcast, which you can find on iTunes, you can find on SoundCloud, or you can find on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Have a listen to the work that she's put together. She's done even more things than that. She's, like I say, she goes out, she goes out, and she finds radio to make. And she has so much to offer. So please contact me again on gbapodcast at gmail.com and I will pass you on to her if you're interested now that's like the core the people doing like the main bulk of what Stand Up Tragedy is about and how we managed to do it in Edinburgh but there were other members of the team who were equally important and and just impressed me so much during the run so we had Andy Bodle up who you can hear on Getting Better Acquainted on a previous one now he is the press officer for us or has been the press officer up till now but that's not really what he does he just stepped in when we needed it and he has done his best to provide that despite it not really being his area of interest or uh, experience and We're so grateful for everything he's done with that. But he is primarily a performer and writer. He writes really great, true stories, which he tells. He's told at Spark. That's how I met him, Spark London. Um, And he has a blog called Womanology that you should check out online if you're interested in people mixing true stories with scientific theories and observations on gender then that may interest you that that blog and he's writing a sitcom which i'm excited to see what happens with in the future and he's really really good at telling stories that's why i booked him for the show and he did not let me down and he's been a really great help in what we've done una o'leary came all the way from chicago to do the show and i was so impressed i'd not seen them before liz knows una and knows what she does but i had not seen her before and i was absolutely blown away by the quality of her sketches that she did with us they were funny they were moving she's a brilliant performer she's a really excellent writer and i was just really happy to be able to have somebody like her with her skills with her energy around in the group and on stage she's amazing you should definitely look out for her in the future stand-up tragedy will definitely want to continue having a relationship with both of those performers and i hope that what they and the last performer i'm going to mention in a moment i hope what all of the performers got from doing the show was an opportunity to network i know that's a horrible word but to meet new friends who may also be able to help them do things in the arts and to see stuff that they hadn't seen before to get an idea of more stuff that different ideas whether they reject them or they embrace them new ideas what's going on out there and an opportunity to really develop their craft and develop their work and I think that both Una and Andy did that. And I think that Charlie Harrison, she is the last member, certainly not least, of the team that I want to give a shout out to. Because Charlie Harrison has really excellent 
comedy and storytelling to share with the world. And we're really pleased to have had her at Stand Up Tragedy as a performer and as a member of the team. Her comedy sets and her storytelling sets on our stage have been really amazing and she's worked on them and developed them. But I think also what I was really pleased to be able to offer to her was an opportunity to get involved with the scene to absorb it in and she took to it like a duck to water she absolutely swam through edinburgh absorbing it it was a pleasure to see her kind of coming to what i like coming into like her own like finding a home on stage because i think that's where she should live she had the honor of being the first person who i have allowed to host the night instead of me and I wasn't there, but everyone tells me that she was a brilliant host and I absolutely believe it because she is a brilliant comedian and a brilliant storyteller. Stand Up Tragedy hopes to have her guest host for us in future. So that's the team and they're all great and I love them all in different ways. And I know them more now. I know them all so much more and I have got so much better acquainted with all of them. I was so busy up in Edinburgh that I didn't really sleep. I didn't sleep hardly any of the time. I mean, I, I, I was going to bed at like three in the morning and I was getting up at eight in the morning to start doing work on the podcasts. And that's the same for Harv and Bryony, you know, and, the, and most of the team hardly slept at all. We didn't sleep. But we had an amazing dream, nevertheless. And I was so tired that I fell asleep on stage. I've never, in fact, in the middle of a song, I've never fallen asleep on stage before. I hope that that will never happen again. It was a micro sleep, so the audience didn't even notice me falling asleep. But of course, the problem with a micro sleep is you don't know it's micro. I, I ended the song feared that I had stopped for 30 seconds in the middle or something and so I had to draw attention to it and I didn't need to because it never would have been noticed if I hadn't but I didn't know that I struggled to stay awake through many brilliant shows I if any performer saw my eyes drooping at any time that is no reflection on the show's Many of my favourite shows I saw at the Fringe, that I had a micro-sleep moment. We were rushing about all over the place, walking, walking, walking constantly. And the Stand-Up Tragedy team went out to support as many shows of other Stand-Up Tragedy performers and other PBH spoken word performers as we could. And we really did well in some ways. We saw so many of the shows, but we also, because we were trying to fit so much in, because we were trying to see so many shows we kind of ended up being late to so many shows it was always the stand-up tragedy team arrive at five minutes late and rush in but hopefully the efforts were understood by our fellow performers and we were seen as being incredibly busy rather than being incredibly tardy we are all people who are punctual generally speaking so it really was a case of trying to fit so much in with so little time to do so. But man, it was a ride. And man, it was worth doing. Ultimately, what I got from doing this was a brilliant opportunity for myself to meet people, to see new stuff, to become really close friends with people, to be social, because I don't have much social time in my life because I end up doing lots of editing and making lots of stuff in my evenings. And I don't really see my friends very often. And this was, you know... 13 days of 
intensely social times we, we all started to kind of comment on it by the end that it was so rare to find moments where you were on your own because there was just so much happening at all times and it's been great to have this opportunity for myself but I really think the thing I'm proudest of with this show is not the show itself which has been really great um, I mean I can't if you haven't seen it if you weren't there this will just sound like yada 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 somebody's bigging up his own show but stand-up tragedy is a variety night and i book the acts but it, the acts are not all me so to love stand-up tragedy is to love what happens when you give a load of really good acts a new focus when you say to them this is what you do normally now make it tragic Take what you do, take the tragedy from what you do and highlight it or twist what you do and change it, but make it tragic. And it's really great to see what happens when you give performers a brief and see them have to try and find a way of matching that brief to what they do to find a kind of compromised position, I guess. But it doesn't seem to make for compromised art. It makes for interesting powerful moving and funny stuff and I've seen so much of that on our stage and that's been great the thing I'm most proud of I think is to have given people opportunities the stand-up tragedy team I'm I mean I love all those guys and I'm really pleased to have been able to give I think each of them some opportunities some ways of connecting with audiences or ways of perfecting their craft or ways of getting experienced or ways of kind of making connections whatever it's been my pleasure to have managed to to get a show together that raised enough money that it could afford to offer those opportunities to people who wouldn't normally necessarily be able to take them because stand-up tragedy raised enough money that we could cover the accommodation and we could cover the travel so the people in our team they came up and they didn't have to have very much money because they were going up as part of a a festival that had a free fringe section and they were going up to a place that was going to be paid for them via transport that was going to be paid for them and I am so pleased to have been able to do that I mean I am one of the people who benefited from that I couldn't have afforded to do it if we hadn't have raised the money there are many artists out there who don't have very much money and those are the people who may be making really excellent stuff that nobody is going to hear about because it's so hard to break through paywalls it's so hard to break get past gatekeepers it's so hard to get that stuff out to people the internet allows us new interesting exciting ways of doing that that's what i'm doing now but the thing is the internet means that everybody can do that and so it means that the competition is so much greater in a way the internet is like an extreme version of the edinburgh free fringe or the edinburgh festival itself that when you get loads and loads of different acts together the choice is so great that it's exciting but it means that it's very hard to get a big audience for any of the different things but it's not just the stand-up tragedy team who I'm proud to have given this opportunity to I'm proud to have been able to, to have booked lots of up-and-coming or unknown or maybe even they've never performed on stage before but I think they're going to do something good those are the kinds of people I like to book for stand-up tragedy and I like to get them on the shows because they are just as potentially brilliant as the established names and one of the opportunities that I'm really pleased to have given to them is the chance to play on bills with established names I mean Standard Tragedy has had 
performers that you will have heard of like Josie Long and Robin Ince and Simon Munnery, people who people may have may know of have been on our stage and they've been on bills with people who you would not have necessarily heard of. It's also an, an opportunity that I give to people by bringing together people from different genres of the arts. So having people who do comedy, mixing with people who do spoken word, mixing with true storytellers, mixing with fiction writers, mixing with cabaret acts, Everybody has a tragedy. Every genre can encompass the idea of tragedy, I think. And with the established acts, one of the things I want to give to them is an opportunity, an opportunity to do something different from what they do. If I booked, that is an opportunity that I'm really pleased to give them. And it's also an opportunity that I'm really pleased that, that they give me. Uh, and that's what that's what life's really about to me. That's what art's really about to me. Sharing stuff with people, exchanging stuff with people, having conversations between ourselves. I was a host every night, so my hosting skills were better or worse depending on the day. That's just the nature of the beast when you're doing something every night. But what I've learned really about being a host from the London shows and from the Edinburgh experience, and I think I'm a better host in London, to be fair, when I have a, a full night, a full three hours of tragedy that's unrolling and the audiences are going to the bar and it's much more relaxed and I can be more calm because I don't have to worry about getting the axe off and getting the next one on because we've only got an hour and we've only got an hour and we've got five acts to get through and we can't go over because the next person's show will be fucked if we do. So I'm a better host in London, but what I have learned about hosting from both of these experiences is that I'm the best host I can be when I am the most myself. I've really kind of come to understand that being socially awkward, being somebody that doesn't fit in or feels like they don't fit in doesn't have to be something that makes you excluded from other people if you embrace that if you're comfortable with who you are with its spikiness and awkwardness and everything if you are able to laugh at yourself and to be open and out there with an audience that's what people respond to really well and I didn't realize hosts could be like that before I started being one and I think that maybe it's not to everybody's taste what I do, but I feel like I'm doing it better and I feel like I'm doing it with more understanding of what I'm doing. And the hosting that I do is probably the main thing that I bring to the stand-up tragedy experience in a way because it creates, I think, a safe space. And I don't think all art should be about openness and uh, truth and honesty. And I don't think that all stages should be safe stages. I think that great art can be made from real stressful situations. But what I want to do with Stand Up Tragedy is to create that safe space where people can try out new things, where people can change things, where people can try things that, that might not work and that mix with things that do work really well and uh, have that kind of sense that we're here to share an experience, that the audience are as important as the performers to this exchange, that it's okay as well to, to not laugh at every moment, to not, to have different emotions, to have those emotions 
washing around inside you and changing from happy to sad and sad to happy the things my life experience how i see the world how i feel the world that's what stand-up tragedy is about but you might think when you hear stand-up tragedy that that means that my life experience my world view is very dark and depressing and it has that to it it does have that to it but it's not all dark at all it's full of light but you can't see the light if you don't have dark and that's what i feel is missing too much too often in the arts is the idea that that not every experience has to be happy that not every experience has to be easy that not every experience has to be uh airbrushed in these ways we can have all the emotions we can have them all and they are all good they are all something to that we learn from they are all something that can enrich our experience and tragedy for me and for the people who created tragedy is not always sad and catharsis itself is a wonderful amazing experience which many of the edinburgh shows have brought to the audiences i think which the london shows consistently bring to the audience catharsis from a personal point of view i feel that's what edinburgh was for me a kind of experience that i went through and from that experience gathered together stuff the experience wasn't always easy the experience was sometimes dark certainly in the shows and that we ran and the shows we saw there was a lot of sadness and it's a sad time out there it's a sad time to be trying to make art because there's not very much money out there and there's not very much hope out there and that's all true and needs to be acknowledged but you know through making stuff you can at least for you and the audiences and in a moment or for a time you can experience the good stuff the community the passion the hope and we can find that and i found that at the edinburgh fringe festival this year i found hope i found new understanding i found reflection and i came back so very tired so very very tired it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and with the spoken word section of PBH's Free Fringe and with other people outside that, new people, old people who came and went during my time there. It's been a real pleasure and privilege to get better acquainted And the last thing I do is ask people to say goodbye to the audience. 
so thanks for listening to this special episode of Game Bear Acquainted later this week normal non-Edinburgh related service will resume with a conversation with my aunt which touches on depression and serious emotional issues so uh, less fun but very important for me and hopefully for you nevertheless and from just me standing in the front room recording into a microphone goodbye you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can find it on facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. Hopefully, I won't be recording a, an actual tragedy here. <laughs> so that's the team. Meet the team. That's the people. That's the cast. Some of the cast. Cast of thousands with this Getting Better Acquainted special. Got no idea what it's going to be like. Going to stop recording now because I've annoyed my team enough for this time of the morning. <laughs>